بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم افتح لنا فتحا مبينا وارزقنا رزقا مباركا كريما، اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما، اللهم ارنا الحق حقا وارزقنا اتباعه وارنا الباطل باطلا، وارزقنا اجتنابه وارسلنا برحمتك في عبادك الصالحين. السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته. ان شاء الله today we'll talk about surah al-Qur'an. Coming on the heels of surah al-Dariyah. Surah al-Qur'an. Is a Meccan surah, and uh, if you were to just pay attention to the last verse of Surah Al-Dariyat, and we've seen that the theme of Surah Al-Dariyat centered around the notion of risk, ultimately provision of Allah, how it's decreed, how it's destined, how it's stored in the heavens of Allah, and Allah invites us in that surah to really look at the heavens and. The, the vastness and the reach of the heavens and how it contains that verse of Allah. Whenever we're doubting, to just up and be assured by the stability of that risk of Allah that has been decreed for all of us. And the surah ends with <clears throat> Allah stated first the purpose of our presence on this earth, ultimately, we shouldn't be debating or challenging Allah. We don't have that right. Allah created us to worship Him. And then Allah assured us, I'm not asking you for provision. In Allah, verily Allah Allah is the provider. There is no provider of Allah. But then He affirmed something that is related to the next surah. Allah possesses strength, might that is boundless. But it's also described as Mateen. Mateen is very firm and unbreakable. Very firm and unbreakable. Everything that Allah decrees, everything that Allah plans, everything that Allah judges, everything that comes out of Allah is very Mateen. There is no one that can challenge it, break it. No one can outwit Allah. Nobody can outdo Allah. If Allah renders something, it is done. Mateen, unbreakable. So that means we, you and I can count on it. Something that is very firm, very sure, very certain, and enough for us to, to know that it's overwhelming. Nobody can can uh, tamper with it or or um, outstrip it in any way. So Allah assures us of this, and then He ends the surah by saying, <clears throat> So let those who disbelieve in Allah, who think partners of Allah, there is. There is a, a promise waiting for them from Allah Azza wa There is a day that Allah has promised and it's Mateen. Very firm. Nothing can break it, nothing can change it. Woe to them in anticipation of that day that will surely come. The promise of Allah. So Surah Al-Tur also comes as part of that collection of surahs. That as I said, brings us back to that faith in Allah Azza wa because in life we go back and forth, as we've seen, there is a series of surahs tackling the issues of life and how to live life and how to engage in social relationships and how to cultivate adab, etiquettes and mannerisms and character in our day-to-day -day dealings with our families and all over. And then Allah Azza wa alternates by bringing us back to the heart. 
Because you have to fortify your heart and even your ability to engage with life is severely handicapped and paralyzed. We will not have the strength if we don't fortify the heart. And that's why it's essential to come on a morning and study the word of Allah and reflect on the word of Allah and adore Allah and glorify Allah in these early hours of the morning and within the night, Allah assures us in the Quran, it strengthens your soul. And we're going to see it in Surah Al-Tur. Right? So Allah Azzawajal provided this collection of surahs that we've been discussing that do nothing but tackle the heart, address the heart, and our faith in Allah with certainty. So this surah comes to follow on that last verse. Take that last verse in which Allah says, Woe to those who take partners with Allah, who are committing those transgressions. <clears throat> injustices on this earth as if there is no one to check them. Well, Allah will check them and Allah is aware of them. And there is a day that is waiting for them in which Allah will deliver his promise. And Allah, where did he deliver this promise? How are we aware of this promise? In the Quran. Is there any other way that in which or through which we'll know the promise of Allah? There isn't. We cannot know the truth without <clears throat> the revelation of Allah. The revelation of Allah is the moment is the tool that Allah chose to deliver the truth to the human beings and all of existence. There is no other way. And we're going to see this meaning being emphasized in the surah. How else are you going to learn the truth? And this is very essential because many, many people engage idly and playfully as if it's a game with the word of Allah and with the sunnah of Rasulullah, right? Challenging it, doubting it even amongst Muslimin, Muslims, right? But if that is done away with, how else will we learn the truth? There is no other. So what we're left with is nothing but doubt. So Allah, the whole surah, Surah Al-Tur, <clears throat> Allah dedicated, dedicates it to focusing on that last verse of Surah Al-Dariyat to allow us to get a glimpse into the delivery of that promise of Allah and the sureness of it. You're going to see also this emphasis throughout the Quran on sureness, uncertainty. And if you're not sure of certain things, what are you going to be sure about? You're left with nothing. Right? And we're going to see this meaning being emphasized in the surah. So this surah comes as a counsel to Rasulullah Muhammad as also a, a, a further description and a discussion on this promise of Allah that is going to come with certainty. And just as Surah Al-Dariyat began, the series of oaths that, are, that were very powerful, but to just see the <clears throat> style of the Quran, there is nothing random or accidental. The series of oaths that we saw in Surah Al-Dariyat, do you remember them? Right? Until the end. By the ones that uh, essentially deliver the rest of Allah. All these oaths that Allah spoke about, by the, the wind, what could be interpreted as the rain, etc. We've seen that. So Allah is speaking of these winds that scatter, that stir up the dust, that are burdened by the moisture and the rain, that deliver what? The rest of Allah. So the oaths themselves are linked to the theme of the surah. And what's the theme of the surah? So Allah swore by things. If you look at them on the surface, you're not going to understand that they're about provision. Who would have thought that wind is about also provision? But Allah is summoning the intellect of the believer who sees things differently to say that when you look at the wind and feel it, 
It's an instrument that a soldier of Allah delivers the to you in ways that are mysterious to you sometimes. Maybe there are things about it that you understand, but a lot of things are mysterious about it. It is acting in response to, in surrender to Allah, to execute a command of Allah, kun, right? B. And it's the, the, the provision of Allah is given to us through commands of Allah. But the commands are executed and carried out by the creation of Allah. Winds, angels, clouds. But what I want to emphasize here is that the oaths in the surah are linked to the theme of the surah, which was provision. In this surah, we're going to see Allah similarly beginning with a series of oaths. Very significant, powerful oaths. But they're going to be linked also. If you pay attention to them and ponder upon them, they're going to be linked to the theme of the surah. And what is the theme of the surah? It's building on the last verse of Surah Al-Dariyat, which is the promise of Allah will be delivered with certainty, and it's about that day. And what is the ultimate day that manifests <clears throat> the promise of Allah? The day of judgment that ushers in that new reality, that takes somebody out of their stupor, state of doubt about everything, into a state of absolute certainty and an iron vision as we saw in what surah? <coughs> Remember? There is no confusion today. There were days in which we played around, we messed around, we wanted to doubt everything because we thought it was a joke. Well, this is a day in which your vision is clear and there's nothing in doubt anymore. So the oaths are linked to this as we'll see. <coughs> the second section in the surah address the certainty of that promise of Allah after the oaths themselves. So the oaths begin the surah, and the response of the oath, or the object of the oath, is that the promise of Allah shall be fulfilled. And then Allah, in that section, segs into a description of what will happen to those who denied it, who messed around with that thought, with that concept. They thought it was a joke to not believe in Allah. To believe in his promise. He wanted to doubt everything, including revelation. Because if you are, if this is skeptical, if all revelations of Allah are doubtful and you can get rid of them, what are you left with? Nothing. But what? Whims and desires. Which is exactly what human beings want. I don't want to be responsible. So if my parents are not telling me anything, and if I can pretend like there is no laws in the house, right? Then I can do anything I want. Which is exactly what they want. So part of the reason why they want to continue to doubt the Quran is because they don't want to be accountable and responsible. That's by the way, one of the reasons why God, why people deny God. Because they want to be left alone without accountability. The problem is that they think that things will not catch up with them. And Allah assures us with certainty, things will catch up with you. It's a test. So Allah in that section, second section. Gives us a glimpse, a sampling of what will happen to those, to those deniers in very short verses of how they will be dragged into reality. Literally, violently, vigorously shaken into that new world. Because you need to be shaken to wake up sometimes. Your, your sleep is so deep, somebody got to shake you. And the new reality will shake them out of their stupor out of their drunkenness of this world, right? Third section is a contrast. It will give us a deep glimpse, a deep, detailed, beautiful glimpse 
into uh, the bliss that awaits also as part of the promise of Allah. That awaits who? People who choose to believe in the promise of Allah without seeing it, right? We haven't seen the next world. We haven't seen that reality. It's really a belief in the heart. And it's a big deal to Allah. And it's going to be a big deal to you and me that we believe in Allah. Sometimes we don't, we belittle that belief in our hearts, right? People mock beliefs in general, <clears throat> mock faith and religion in general. But Allah sends us the message. You believe in that promise is a big deal. And because of that belief and the good actions that you do, you're going to experience a bliss. But within that section, Allah describes a bliss in a very beautiful way. That section redefines, redefines the concept of bliss. Redefines the concept of satisfaction and joy. Why? So that Allah cements in our hearts that we will never ever experience absolute utopia and bliss on where? On this earth. It's impossible. And that definition will elevate our understanding of bliss. Because, by the way, in this life, we have very uh, limited imagination. No matter how much we imagine, it's very limited. Right? So even our definition of joy, uh, a cup of soda, coffee, coffee on the couch, watching football. Right? Taking a vacation for a week. Right? That's it. That's the utmost of, of bliss. Not having a headache in our lives. It's bliss. Allah says, yeah, sure, that's a sampling of joy. Let me take you through a journey of what bliss really is so that you can elevate your dreams and imagination. So that you understand that this earth will never deliver utopia to you. Most people's suffering is because they think utopia lies here. And they're waiting and waiting and waiting for it, and it never comes. You get an experience, semi-experience of it here and there, but it never comes. And just when you are in it, it's taken away. Isn't it true? So Allah read the part of Section 4, Allah pounds. The disbelievers pounds in Section 4, Surah, with questions, rhetorical questions. To refute all of their allegations and attacks against Revelation, against Rasulullah. To deny and play around, doubt, doubt, doubt. So Allah exposes the fallacies and the ignorance and the deliberate rebellion. It's not just ignorance, it's not just doubting, it's rebellion. So He exposes it in nothing but questions. He poses these questions at them to say, I challenge you to come up with answers. And they are dumbfounded. They're not going to be able to come up with answers except to say, we doubt again. Make sense? Until they wait the day when they wake up and realize it's not a joke anymore. It's, it's a, it was a dream, and we're awakened to this new reality. So it's a set of questions that, that we'll, inshallah, talk about. And then the surah ends with counsel to Rasulullah. Right? So every surah ends with a series of instructions to Rasulullah and to all of us as to how to deal with attacks, assaults <clears throat> on our faith, but also the assaults of our minds. How to comfort yourself. How do you derive that satisfaction here to make it through the journey until the day you leave this earth and go back to Allah. So that's the fifth section. <clears throat> so let's, let us, inshallah, um, delve into these verses of Allah and, and see how these themes are strung together in this world. So Allah, as I said at the beginning, begins the surah with a series of oaths. And remember, the oaths in any surah are not random. Yeah, they're about great things, 
but they have to relate to the theme of the surah. And the theme of the surah is the delivery of the promise of Allah, the fulfillment of it, and what? The ushering in of the new reality. That will come, for sure, with certainty. So here are the the oaths of Allah. بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والطور وكتاب مسطور في رق منشور والبيت المعمور والسقف المرفوع والبحر المسجور. Five oaths. Which Allah says by what? الطور. The first thing that Allah swears by in this surah is الطور. And what is الطور? The most accepted you know interpretation is that it's it's probably a reference. To the mountain on which Allah spoke to Musa, Prophet Musa, and this is a grand uh, oath. It's Allah Azza wa never takes takes an oath by something light. And mother, there's nothing like <clears throat> in the creation of Allah Azza wa <clears throat> But amongst the creation of Allah are things that Allah elevated, exalted, and revelation is exalted, and the location which it was delivered is exalted. Right, and that location in which Allah spoke to Prophet Musa is exalted. Allah made it sacred, just as He made Al Bayt Al Haram and Mecca sacred, just as He made you know Medina sacred, just as He made Jerusalem sacred. Allah chooses to make certain spots sacred, and revelation sacred, and times that He made sacred, and indeed He made that mountain sacred because it was a it was a location. That brought the heavens and the earth together. It's a point of intersection. How else again are we gonna receive the or gain access to the heavens? Allah is the one who chooses this. So he brought Musa to that location on his way of, of return to Mecca. Oh, excuse me, Mecca. Somewhere else. Egypt from Median. And he spoke to Allah as we're aware. And the Mount of Tur, and he spoke to him again in other times in, in his journey. Later on, after he brought back the children of Israel to, to Palestine, he also spoke to Allah Azza But that mountain is where Musa spoke to Allah Azza So Allah swears by it. So it's a sublime, grand oath. Then he says by something else. Well, that mountain is where he spoke to Musa. And what did he deliver to Musa? <clears throat> Revelation. So Allah swears by the revelation, by saying, وَكِتَابٍ مَسْتُورٍ And by scripture, revelation, kitab, or book, that is mastur. Satr is what in Arabic? Nine. So a scripture or a book that is contains words that are formed in lines, meaning that Allah has those words, ultimately are going to be captured in, in a book that we can read, right? Line after line, so Allah swears by revelation, all of revelation, but perhaps it is specifically talking about the revelation given to Musa, given the context of the oaths that Allah delivered, At-Tur. So Allah swears by the revelation, it's not done. He says, this revelation, this revelation that you are belittling, because Allah is going to say next, this revelation, Allah, look at how grand this is. <clears throat> the mercy and the generosity of Allah who delivers his words to you and me that we can understand them first of all, we can process them with our intellects <clears throat> we can read them with our eyes, we can hear them with our ears we can actually recite them 
This is not a light thing. <clears throat> Imagine Allah, the infinite, infinite power, infinite wisdom, infinite knowledge, and he delivers words that contain his wisdom that a human, simple human being, weak human being, can articulate, can hear, can process. That's a big deal. That Allah made us capable of understanding his word and then made no intermediary between us. There are prophets that deliver this, deliver this, this revelation, but we can understand it and speak to Allah with it. That's amazing, right? And Allah says, and this revelation is contained in Raq. Raq is, is referring to the papers. Raq is from Raqiq. Raqiq is very thin. Gentle, thin, and brittle. Like they, you know, even call hearts in Arabic Raqiq. It's very Raqiq. It's very gentle. And we say be Raqiq. Be very gentle and almost like brittle with others. Not to break, but in handling other people, be very soft. So Allah is referring to papers that are very thin and soft. Mature, they are spread out that contain what? So even though if you hold them, they're about to break, but they contain within within them what? The graph word of Allah message. So for somebody might be looking at this they contain something divine in them. Big deal, right? So Allah is speaking to also those who are doubting this by something very grand, the revelation of Allah that is contained within this rock. These thin papers are heavenly. And Allah continues on by swearing by another grand, sublime thing that He has created, and by the frequented, populated house. Now, many meanings or interpretations uh, have been given as to what that means. It might be al al Mamur where? The most frequented house in the heavens, in the seventh heaven, under the throne of Allah, the seventh heaven, where, as we understand from Rasulullah, that these angels, there's this house hovering around above the Kaaba, just as there is a Kaaba here that we circumambulate. There's a house around which the angels do tawaf, circumambulation. And in another tradition, it's narrated that every heaven has a house, like a Kaaba, around which the angels hover and do tawaf. The ultimate is Al-Bayt al-Mahmud in the seventh heaven, where as we are as we hear from Rasulullah, 70,000 angels, so I send them 70,000 angels every single day come in to worship Allah and adore Him all day in that day and then leave. And then the following day, another 70,000 comes in until the end of time. So imagine the amount of worship that takes place in the heavens. And Allah reminds us of this and this honor. It's also remind us that your activity of serving Allah on this earth, circumambulating the house, and Kaaba is a big deal. That it's an action mimicked mimicked in the heavens. That when you glorify Allah, raise your hands to Allah, prostrate to Allah, and circumambulate His house, you're mimicking the actions of the angels of Allah in the heavens. But if all of earth, all the creation of Allah on earth, did not put their heads on the grounds, Allah doesn't need it. And Allah has infinite angels doing so in the heavens. Plain and simple. But it also could also be a reference to the Kaabah. Because it is frequented and it is populated from the time it was constructed until the end of time, without end. But it also could be a reference in the context of these oaths to all of earth, because all of earth is a bait. What is bait? A home that is populated 
right? So Allah could be swearing by earth itself, or Bayt al Ma'muri. He's not done. He says next, what's above earth? The sky, the canopy above us. So earth is great, right? The grand, you know, the house of Allah is great. Earth is great. It's grand. It encompasses us, but then Allah takes us up to remember the journey is about also there. There, don't forget about the canopy above you that Allah has raised. Was that He's elevated. It's a big deal. We rarely contemplate and reflect on the heavens. Now, remember in Surah Al-Dariyat, Allah referred to the heavens, to the canopy. What did He say? So he says, within that heaven is your provision and everything you are promised. You just don't see it. It's given to you. The commands of Allah descend from there. And they contain the treasures of Allah. So when the sky or the canopy was mentioned, it was mentioned in what context? The theme of the surah, which is provision. Here, Allah says, look at the elevated sky. He's not going to be talking about provision. What's the theme of the surah? The day in which that canopy will be cracked, meaning the day of judgment and the next world. So it's a different context, but Allah is swearing by it. That firm things up, firm thing up, that is so vast, so boundless, so beautiful, and the clouds hover in it, and they deliver the rain in it, but it's beyond that. It's the creation of Allah. It's, it's, it's so sure, it's so real, and it encircles us. We're surrounded by it completely. So to speak, speaking of the power of Allah himself, Allah swearing by it, and we'll see why shortly. And then he says next, The fifth oath is by the oceans that will swallow over. The oceans that will be filled with a swell, swell from the fire, from it boiling. Now this is an amazing oath as well. And you see the reference being conveyed in it. So oceans, they're very serene. They're grand too. The sky is grand. Allah swore by it. Earth is grand. Allah swore by it. And then he swore by the ocean, but he didn't just say the serene ocean. He said the ocean will swell over. Right? Again, what is the hint here? Guess what's coming? That everything grand. So here is the summary. Because the next thing that Allah says, is the object or the answer to the order. When I say buy this, buy this, buy that, this is what's gonna happen. What's gonna happen, Ya Allah? Inna For sure, without a doubt, barely, the punishment of Allah has is occurring, is happening, is gonna take place. For sure, no doubt about it. But I've also to speak about this, to set the stage. Now, again, if you look at objects that Allah swore by, other than revelation and the mountain on which he spoke to Musa, he spoke of the canopy, the sky, he spoke of earth, he spoke of ocean. All are grand things that serve, that serve Allah. But one thing about them is that they're very sure. They're very, excuse me, very firm. Earth doesn't shake, really. I mean, there's an earthquake here or here, but it's still floating around the sun. You're still stable on it, no matter what happens on this earth. The canopy, and it, it, it encompasses us. Right? The sky above us encircles us. The oceans, most of Earth is water. And it's a source of life. It's so serene. Yeah, sure, here and here it becomes turbulent. But nonetheless, it's very calm and stable and sure, and we can count on it. 
Allah says, all these things are waiting for the command of Allah. They're all waiting to surrender to Allah. They've been um, put into this creation for a purpose. They fulfill their mission while they're living, but one day they ultimately fulfill their mission, which is what? To usher in the new world. Literally, these sides of Allah, earth, sky, and ocean, will be among the grand things that on the day of judgment will surrender to Allah and do what? Crack wide open. All of them, you see these signs of stability, you have to hang on to something in your life. Allah says the thing that you're holding on to it is so grand. And by the way, these objects speak of the power. They themselves speak of the completeness of Allah's power, His wisdom, His knowledge, and we're encircled by them. And nonetheless, we challenge Allah. I mean, we're completely in it. We're on His earth, under His heaven. Allah can crush us. And we're, where are we living? We're standing on His earth. And we're benefiting from His water in the oceans. And, and then we challenge these big things. And we say they're random and accidental. Allah says, wait for the day when they themselves submit to Allah saying, Right? Allah says, on the day when the sky and the earth will answer to Allah and surely it's incumbent upon them to answer Allah. And what will happen to them? Allah says, that ocean will swell over. That sky above you will start to crack and open up. And earth itself will shake vibrate and it will speak and it will also open to allow the the souls in it that excuse me the bodies in it to come out it will throw out its burden this is very interesting the sky and the earth and the oceans do you notice they're deep ocean is deep we know this you can look at the surface but we're always afraid of the depths of it earth itself we stand on the surface of it really we know the depth is hell but there's a lot of treasures of Allah in this earth what about the sky? It looks like a veil, doesn't it? What, what's beyond it is the world of Allah. Isn't it? That reality, so the reality of Allah is always kept from us. We see glimpses of it, just as from earth. Even though we can access the, the bottom of this earth, but it's really, really hard. We don't go there, right? We just go, the, you know, we penetrate it just minimally. It's so deep and it contains infinite treasures of Allah. But bigger than this earth is that sky that serves and that is that inter interface that veils the next world from us, just as the oceans veil from us so much and they contain treasures of Allah. But one day these things, interfaces, that veil us from that reality will, will crack wide open for what purpose? So that we can now be exposed to and enter into that world. Make sense? So that's why Allah takes the oath by these things. Because they're, because they're all connected to that grand world, because they're the veil that separates us from that world, Allah says, surely that day is coming. And Allah says, describes what happens, shake and vibrate and move vigorously. Wow, it's so sure now, it's so certain. It is so firm, but it will start to wave and move vigorously to usher in the new world. It's answering the command of Allah, it has to come to that end. And then he says, he refers to something else we look at that is so firm. What the seed of Jibal and the mountains that are the pegs of this earth that are so firm, that are so grand, they themselves will start to travel and move vigorously. As somebody walking. Can you imagine? Imagine this sight. Allah wants us to imagine. <coughs> this sky will start to crack. This earth will start to shake and the mountains will start to move. Right? 
as if, as if someone is walking, as someone walking. Allah Azza just says, on that day, that it's so real where everything you thought for him is not. Because it's now cracking wide open. It is coming to its own end to usher in that world. So woe to the ones who deny it. The ones who have been engaging in doubtful um, kind of attitude, thoughts about this, they're not taking it seriously. That's the day that they've been promised and woke to them for what is going to happen to them on that day. And Allah describes to us their attitude on this earth. It's a very serious attitude that they have engaged in. Allah says they used to be engaged, engaged in khawd, playing in khawd. So we say in Eric Latakhul, don't engage in idle talk. Don't don't get it, don't go there, we say, right? So that's khawd is a term we use for to refer to someone engaging in engaging in idle talk. Vain talk for no purpose, and he's so daring. So daring that he starts to make allegations, assumptions randomly without any responsibility. Allah said they used to look like this. They used to be playing around, messing around. In vain talk and speculation, as if there are no cost, there are no consequences. Treating it as nothing, and they're constantly doing this, and it's very treacherous. It's like the moving sand, right? You don't know what's going to happen to you. You're just daring to walk into it, and it will snatch you, and it will drown you. That's their attitude of this world. They don't want to hold on to anything firm from Allah. They don't want to be certain about anything because they don't want to. They don't want to deal with it. And they think it's not going to catch up, catch up with them. That's a very significant theme in this surah. Engaging constantly in idle, doubt, talk, vain chatter, and speculation about Allah's truth. And Allah says, okay, now you're choosing to play around and mess around and not to engage your mind seriously about any of the questions that Allah give you. So I'm going to wake you up. You know when somebody, again, I referred to this earlier, when somebody's in deep sleep, I don't want to wake up to go to school or work. What do you have to do at the end? Wake up. Mm. Wake up. Mm. And then at the end, you have to do what? Shake them out of their sleep. Right? What about somebody who is um, engaging in foolishness, being very silly? We do this with our children, right? They're being very silly. You tell them, stop it. They're like, ah, stop it. Ah, stop it. And then what do you do? You grab someone and you shake them up a little. Right? That's the minimum we can do to remind someone this is serious. Get out of your foolishness, foolish play. Allah says here, on that day when they awaken to that new reality, they see it, they're immersed in it, that there's no denial. He says, on the day when they are violently, vigorously moved or dragged into the fire. You know, to, to again, appropriate recompense for what? Their idle play. They're not taking anything seriously. So Allah says, well, guess what? It's real. And I'm going to now drag you. The angels will drag you violently, shackle you, and drag you not just gently, because you're already in shackles, but you're going to be dragged violently into the hellfire that you denied. It's an appropriate ending to get them out of their state of denial. Because the whole thing about the next world is that it's very serious. And it's very real, and nobody can deny it. But even the action of dragging them into the hellfire is very befitting for what they used to do, which is play around and mess around 
without thought about the consequences of this. This is the not, this is the hellfire that you used to deny. Are you going to deny now? Right? So he says next, He says, is this magic? Is this sorcery? What did they used to say about revelation? Remember, it's nothing. So let's speculate about it. Okay. Yeah, it's, it looks serious. Nah. When they got to, uh, <clears throat> when they got close to seeing that it's serious, because initially they said it's uh, idle talk, it's fabrications, it's this and that. But then when they saw it and saw that it's really like it's different, revelation is different. They said it must be sorcery, it must be magic. So we're being deluded by it, right? Where did that come come from? They're idle minds. They just invented something in their heads to deal with this revelation to do away with it, right? So amongst the, thing, the things that they have alleged is that it's magic. And the promises that it gives you is magic. Sorcery, it's not real. So Allah, he puts in on the Alpha, what does he say to them? Is this magic? Is this sorcery? Or is this something that is really real, right? Clearly the answer is, oh my goodness, this is real. So everything that this revelation that they called sorcery is actually real and it's magic. And it's a rhetorical question to ridicule them on that day. And Allah says to them, Okay. He says to them, roast in it. Roast in this hellfire you used to deny. And then he says, be patient or don't be patient. It's the same thing. Today you shall be given what you deserve. Now this is interesting. He says, be patient or don't be patient. Now they're in the hellfire. They're in this hardship. But it's not a normal hardship. Right? So in your heart, in hardships, what do we do? On earth, you're sick, you've gone through a calamity, you lost someone, uh, you've been fired from your job. What, what, what do you say? Be what? Be patient. Somebody is hurting you. Be patient. Why do we say be patient? Patient, Patience is a treasure of Allah, given to the soul. Not everybody has it. We know very well, and Allah assures us of this, that on earth, if we're patient, even working hard towards something, Bearing the pain. If you're patient, what will happen? Sooner or later, you're going to about what? Experience the taste, the reward of your patience. You have to, for sure. There's not a thing on earth that you're patient with, except sin, clearly. Don't be patient with sin, right? But pay, being patient with virtue, with handling the difficulties that Allah gives you. This is the best prescription. To just be patient with it and handle it with contentment as much as possible. Allah assures you one day you're going to get a reward. And you're going to see the consequences and the fruits of your patience. Well, guess what? In the next world, this rule doesn't apply. So Allah tells them in the hellfire, well, be patient. <clears throat> because what can they do? <clears throat> they're in the hellfire. They're not dying from that hell. It's tormenting beyond imagination. And it's not like the fire of this world. So the best thing that they can come up with is to be what? Tell me. Patient. But maybe one day it will end. Maybe something will right change. Circumstances will change. Be patient. Just as a part of Allah tells them, guess what? Patience doesn't work here. Be patient or don't be patient. It's the same thing. Nothing is going to change. That's scary. It's a scary thing that for those who are not taking seriously the revelation of Allah and His promise and they are spending their mischief on corruption in this earth, one day, not even patience will. That's how sure the promise of Allah is. And it's endless. 
Then Allah Azza wa says in it, in the same word, verse, Allah's very fair. So despite the fact that that day sure is a terrifying day, and the punishment of Allah is terrifying, Allah assures them and us, shouldn't be given anything except as a adequate, fair, just reward or punishment for what you've done. That's it. Allah is very just. So that's something we should take comfort in. That day is also the day of justice. That world is a world of justice. And it's a beautiful thing to know that Allah is just. That nobody can get away with their murder, with their mischief, with their corruption, etc. Unless they repent to Allah. So Allah assures us that the laws of the next world are very just. Whatever you have planted, you shall reap. So they've clearly reaped what they've planted. <clears throat> it's absolutely just punishment from Allah. Then Allah in the next section contrasts that ending with the ending of the believers. It's also real and it's also certain. Remember what I said at the beginning? It's going to redefine this section, redefine the, 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 the concept and the notion of bliss. I invite you before we talk about this, what is your definition of happiness? What is your definition of satisfaction? What's the most you can dream for on this life, in this life? Think about it for a second. And let's see what Allah says. Here it is. Allah says, for sure, again, this is a sort of uncertainty. The ones who have what? Uh, consciousness, reverence, muttaqin. They fear that punishment of Allah. They're aware of Allah. They respected Allah. They were trying to be conscious of Allah in their lives. Those people, he says, who had that faith in Allah, in, they're going to be in Jannah. They're going to be immersed, living in, right, in these gardens of Allah that Allah made. Wana'im. It's not just gardens. Wana'im. Absolute bliss. Na'man Arabic is gift. Na'im is a, is a word given to bliss and joy in which you are just immersed in the experience. Eternally and absolutely. Allah says they're in it eternally. For sure. So you can imagine just that concept by itself. And when Allah says na'im, there is nothing that is going to afflict you. Allah doesn't stop. So the, the, this, this uh, definition of bliss in this section is going to tackle three levels of it. Allah is going to discuss personal, physical bliss. He's going to talk about social bliss and also the bliss of the mind, which is very important. And we'll talk about why. So he's going to again reconceptualize, redefine what joy and bliss is so that we can understand it, it can only be attained in the next world. He says, first of all, on an individual level, they're going to be delighted. What's fakihah in Arabic? Fruit. But fakihah in Arabic means to delight. So, you know when you eat the fruit, it's usually when you're chilling out, right? And you see the, the sweet taste that comes with it, oftentimes, right? You're delighted with it. So the word itself for fakihah, for fruit, contains the notion of joy. So when Allah says fakihin, in the next word, they're constantly delighting. Delighting with what? With everything that Allah has given them. There's nothing that will say, ah, that's, ah, I don't like that one. Oh yeah, but I like that one. Every single thing that Allah gives them in that realm is a source of what? Absolute bliss. Even the tiny, you know the tiniest things here? You know, 
you paint a delicious drink, but maybe that next thing that happens after, it's like, eh, not a big deal. You know, that show that you watch on television, that place you went to, we went to visit, it's like, mm, it's not what I thought. Yeah, maybe five minutes I had fun, but the rest of it was like, eh, it's okay, right? Every single thing you experience, you consume, you go in, into in, in, the, in the next world, right? You look at, you hear, is bliss. Allah assures us of this. So he says, but enough for us to know that Allah has protected them from the torment of hell. Why is that important? Yeah, they can be living in paradise here, beautiful home, you know, good amount of wealth, health, but you know one day what will happen, or what can happen. I was looking today, this morning, at my gray hairs. Here we go, right? Here we go. And it's like, ah, oh, the aches. You have a delicious meal, and then suddenly something else happens. Like, oh, stomach ache. Aging, right? The possibility of losing that home. The possibility of losing your job, and ultimately death itself. We're always worried about the, the thing that will spoil the joy. Allah says, enough for you to know that when they're in that bliss, they never have to be worried about what? Ever being touched by that. Enough Jannah for you. Even if there's nothing else in Jannah, but to know that we're not going to be touched by that. Allah assures us this. With certainty, then Allah switches from a, a speaking in third person to second person. So Allah's talking about them, the believers, the believers, they're going to be in this bliss, and then suddenly He switches to speaking in the second person by saying, You eat and drink with delight. You deserve it. Why is he switching from third person to second person? So previously he's talking about the believers. They're in bliss. They're in Jannah. They're protected from the hellfire. And he turns to you and says, eat and drink out of delight for everything you've done. You deserve it. What do you think? Because when, when we read these verses, we might be thinking it's not who, not us. When you read the Quran, how do you read it? You read it verse by verse, then you literally read this verse, Kulu washrabu, eat and drink. Who is he talking to? When you read it, if you open the Quran to read it, you must be what? You know, believe it. Unless you're one of the few that are opening it to argue it, right? But if you're reading it, most likely you're among the people who are, you know, subhanAllah, want to be engaging the word of Allah and you're reciting it. So you're saying, you're reading the word of Allah to you. Right now even, eat and drink hani'a, enjoy. Because of the things you used to do. Allah wants to what to do what to you. Tell you, hey, you, you, you are amongst them. You're opening this one, you read it. Why not? You. I am talking to you. So that you don't think it's someone else. No, you. What a generous offering from Allah. That's he switches to assure you, I mean, direct, directly talking to you, I mean, saying, yeah, you, eat and enjoy the drink and the food that you're going to be getting. You deserve it. Subhanallah, I don't know how you're feeling right now when you sense that Allah's talking to you and me with this, with this verse. Putting you into that experience, saying, eat and drink, enjoy it, you deserve it. To put us in that realm and to say you and I deserve it. And why not? That we are the ones that Allah is talking to. Right? After all, we're reading the word of Allah this morning. May Allah give us that. Say, Amen. Allah doesn't talk about just food and drink because that's individual. And we love food and drink. And there's not an experience on this earth without food and drink that is eh, real joy, is it? Even a conversation. 
love to say, hey, let's go hang out and drink coffee. Let's say, watch over some food. So Ramadan is stuck because of that reason, but we look forward to the food at the end, right? Can you imagine traveling without food? Can you imagine? Like going on vacation, but hey, guess what? There's no food. Or minimal food. Or poor food. One of the things that people report about different destinations on this earth, if you go read uh, travel reviews, what's the first thing, especially in America, that they talk about when they travel? Food. I'm like, is there nothing else? Right? right? I lie. I kept joking about it until I went to one country where the food, food wasn't that great. I'm like, no, how do I know that? I should have never said that, right? Because the food was okay. I mean, from everybody I stand up, it was really like not great. I'm not gonna name the country. But there's a country in which that I went to, it was like, it was difficult, right? Extremely difficult. And so I was, I love the country, it was beautiful, but just the food wasn't great. And we'll always talk about it. Food is an essential part of your joy, that's what Allah talks about. For those who are doubting the descriptions of what's supplies, God talking about food and drink, well, Let's bring you back here. Do you want to live without food and drink? Do you enjoy life without food and drink? And why do we then make fun of food all the time and say it's not good enough, it's bland, it's this and that, it's not spicy enough, it's whatever, right? Why? Because we love food. It's Allah made it a need of ours and a joy. But that's individualness. Is it enough? So you're eating and drinking. What else do we report about our experiences of joy? What do we want? What do we want? Company, you know, breakfast right now. We'll see you there, okay, guys? Inshallah. The kitchen, right? Want to hang out, drink coffee, <clears throat> right? With milk and have a bachika. Oh, blissful, isn't it? Especially if there's no like trouble, arguments. There's nothing like it. Allah says, I'm giving you sample experiences on this earth. But you know what happens at nine o'clock? I'm going to have Sunday school. You guys are going to have, well, I don't know, what's, what's up on your schedule? You're going to have something today. You're going to have to prepare for work tomorrow. So that conversation has to end. And the food and drink has to end. You're going to go back to prepare for work tomorrow. It's gone. Allah says, I'm going to give you that agenda. But it's going to be what? Eternal and unending. So he says next, you're going to experience social bliss. I give you a sample of it here that comes and goes. It's not perfect. I'm going to give it to you in perfection there. Jannah is not a lonely experience. He says you're going to be reclining. Remember, he spoke to you directly. He says you're going to be reclining on these thrones of dignity, on these couches that are embroidered. Couches, you know, again, you're sitting watching television, your favorite football game, basketball game, whatever show, cooking show. Who likes cooking shows? He said, I don't know how to cook, but I love cooking shows. I have no idea why. And also like homes. But what do you put behind it? Hello. Hello. You know, for the for the for the soft cushion behind here, right? And Allah bless you. <clears throat> Literally Allah speaks about these. But these are not, not the cushions of this earth. He says they are gonna be reclining on these cushioned beds and thrones of dignity in lines and rows. It must be a really big gathering in general. Hanging out. Allah wants you to put, He wants to take your imagination into it. That's why it's very vivid and, 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 and detailed in the description. Allah doesn't just say paradise, heaven. Go to any other um, books of religion. Uh, we're going to have other revelations out there. Oh, 
except the Quran. Whatever, whatever remnants they have, open them. You'll never see a vivid description of paradise, except in the Quran. Blessing of Allah. I put you there so that you understand what joy is. So you're going to be experiencing this social bliss with your brothers and sisters hanging out on couches. Allah knows you're going to be watching what? Drinking and eating. Right? Lined up rows, couches upon couches upon couches because that's what bliss is. Can you imagine the conversations that will be taking place? Allah will give us a glimpse even into the conversations in this section. He says, was it we've given them spouses and companions, companions and spouses that are wide-eyed. Beautiful spouses that you will get. Because again, marriage on this earth is a blissful experience, should be. Right? We turn it into hell. But it's uh, an experience that gives us a satisfaction for the core needs, for companionship. But it's not perfect, is it? Unless somebody raises an answer, yeah, I have a perfect marriage. Right? No marriage is perfect. Impossible, by the way. Perfect marriages and companionships are there in the next world. So Allah says, just as I give you a taste of it here, you're going to get it in perfection there. You're not going to be running away from your spouse. You're not going to say, oh no, he's here again, or she's here again, right? Because some people ask me that question, like, can I see my spouse really? What kind of gender is that, right? <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> Somehow, we'll change them and change you. So when you look at them, you say, okay, I want you. Really? I mean, it's a lot of this. It's, some people cannot help it. No, no way. That's hell. <laughs> I cannot see it. Right? Well, why? Some people are not just joking. They're so sick. Like, oh, going to be my spouse. Same one. No, no, don't worry. Don't worry. Allah will take care of your joy and bliss. You really want to see them? No, you'll never see them. But I'm sure they're going to be good people if they make it to Jannah. And I swear to some people, like, Allah will change. They say it's impossible. Right? Like, they're making it even impossible that Allah will change their spouses. That's how broken and desperate they are. Right? So Allah continues on. Now, He spoke of companionship. Food and drink is beautiful, <laughs> personal, physical joy. Companionship that is not spoiled. Conversations on couches and Allah says, Here we go. Now, I swear that happens to me all the time. I'm enjoying my time. My brothers have a bunch of my friends here, close, we spend a lot of time eating, drinking. And while I'm like laughing, suddenly the thought of my children comes up. Usually when the thoughts about your children come up, are they like, mashallah, I'm so not worried about them? Tell me right now. What's the thing that spoils your time when you're enjoying it with your friends? If you have children. Your children. And what is the thing that comes to spoil your moment? Tell me. Worried about Exactly. The word is worried about them. About what? Their school. Well, if you don't have faith. School, health, coronavirus. I don't know what, right? Their job in the future, who are they going to get married to? And if they got married, all the problems that happened with them. And, and, and if something hits them, it's like, oh, you lose sleep. And imagine if, imagine if it's worse and more difficult afflictions that happen to them. It's like, some people say, why bring people like children into this earth, right? Well, it tells them a lot. But it is, comes with a lot of baggage and burdens on what? The mind. That anxiety and concern is so serious. Now, Allah shared this in this section. He says, don't worry about the hellfire. So you're in Jannah, you're, with, you're hanging out with your buddies, like, hey, I can't believe I'm seeing guys. Jamal, Zach, you know, obviously. Like, give me a hug, but then it's like, 
Oh, our children again. Who are they? So the thought that afflicted us on this earth is, well, children, because can you imagine joy, you have everything, but your children are in trouble. Or the possibility of trouble will come to them. You're not going to enjoy it. So Allah just as he assured us of protection from the hellfire, what's the thing that afflicts the mind the most on this earth? We said children, and the anxiety that comes with worrying about them, Allah assures in Jannah, I assure you completely, just as I assured you that there is no torment from the hellfire for those who are in Jannah, you shall not worry about your children. I'll remove that completely from you. But how are you going to remove it, Ya Allah, if my children are not with me? Because they didn't work hard enough. Their faith was, eh, they had faith, but they were not doing salah well. They're not reading Quran. They're struggled. They're not doing a lot of charitable acts. And they're rude and they're, and whatever. All the issues that we worry about our children, right, with, and all their struggles with character and, and, and be good. But they had faith in Allah. Maybe they had very tiny faith. According to our definitions, they're in trouble, isn't it? How are they going to make it? Allah says, because I love you so much, and because Jannah is a place where you don't have to worry about anything, here's what I'll do for you. To comfort you completely, I'll bring your children home. All the way to not just your children, but their descendants, and their descendants, and their descendants, until the end of time. The children in your future you've never seen. I'll bring all of them to your love. Guaranteed, but why would Allah put this in the middle of the description of Jannah? Because we're worried about it right now. Let's do your best for them. If they just have faith, if they just say, La ilaha illallah, you'll be good. Allah says, We're going to bring them to you even though they don't deserve it. By action, they don't deserve it. Somebody might be the seventh, or excuse me, the hundredth level in Jannah. Jannah, according to the hadith, is hundred level. In the hundreds, maybe their children is level one. What will Allah do? Suddenly, when you're in your you know couches reclining and chilling out, you'll see your children being elevated in their front. All of them. And everybody generally recognizes. Allah will join all families together. That's bliss, brothers and sisters. You're gonna be finding yourself with your parents. Now, where do we go? Which rank? Right? Like which rank do we go to? Like, your this rank, your children are here. Maybe the grandchildren, the grandparents are here. Maybe one of the grand grand grandparents was a little bit higher. Everybody will be raised to whom? The one with the highest levels. Why the Jannah say Allah? Because Allah is infinitely good. Because nobody can match up with Allah's goodness, and that's the promise of Allah. We didn't merit it, by the way. It's because Allah's generous. Make sense? So our actions earn us the mercy of Allah. The special mercy of Allah. But the mercy of Allah puts us in things we don't even deserve. Gives us a reward we don't merit. It's not because we earn it. Right? That's Allah's generosity. So Allah Azza just says, and you don't have to worry about your children taking deeds away from you. When we elevate them, we elevate them because we love you and we love them. And because we want you to experience eternal bliss and affection and love with them. Because there's no joy without that your parents and your children. And Allah Azza wa says further, <clears throat> and we've given them fruits and, and, and meat out of the things that they delight. And then he says something interesting in 23. He says, Really fascinating verse. 
He says, cops, while they're reclining there with their friends and their families and their children, eating and delighting, and then suddenly he says further, they're going to be giving meat and fakih. And in another verse he says, waiting on them will be these uh, servants that look like hidden pearls. Passing around the waiting, we have wait waiters, waitresses, whatever, creation of Allah, special creation of Allah, and they're so beautiful, they look like pearls. Passing around them to deliver to them what they need, but then he says, <laughs> These cups will be passed around them from hand to hand, right? But within the cup, first of all, he said, there is no level, there's no vain talk, and there's no incitement to evil or sin. You know when you're chilling out? Having fun the time of your life, and you start being funny with each other. You know, children start forcing around, pushing each other there. You're like, you know, when you visit each other, we have children playing in the basement. Initially, you hear laughter. And then, suddenly, what do you hear? Arrow. Boom. Right? Children start running up with what? Crying, complaining of each other. Somebody just banged their heads. Right? That's an example. What about adults when they're having the time of their lives, chilling out, enjoying, mm -hmm. and then they start making jokes subtly? What can what can somebody say in the in, in the in the company? Maybe a bad joke, and you say, "Where? Really? It's like why did you make that joke? Right? That's so insensitive. It's like, oh, I didn't mean it. Like, oh, you meant it. No, you didn't mean it. Arguing blows up. People leave. Don't you notice a lot of the blissful experiences on this earth where people engage in vain talk end up like that? end up in something spoiling it. Because when we engage in vain talk, right, horsing around, playing around, that's what will happen. At the end, it invites trouble. But it's also to remind us there is no perfect joy in this earth, except for Allah, that is devoid of the remembrance of Allah. So Allah says, first of all, when they're drinking, they're not engaging in what? There's no vain talk. There's no empty talk, because all they speak is something pure. And there's nothing that will land you in trouble there. Guaranteed by Allah. But Allah also says, يَتَنَازَعُونَ They're snapped. The word yanza is what? Snatch. Allah didn't just say, hey, give me, give, I'm going to give you my drink. He says they're snatching the drinks from each other. You might say, wait a minute. Isn't this Jannah? Isn't there enough drink? Why are they snatching the drinks from each other? What do you think? You know Jannah? Is not a bland party. It's actually a fun party, right? So when people are hanging out, they're like messing around with each other, but it's not going to be the one that lands them in what? Trouble or hurting each other. I've seen brothers like who, who wrestling because they want to play around. And initially, as I said, it's fun, but at the end, somebody will break something. So it's a form of joy on this earth is to horse around. That's how we enjoy it. Allah made us that way. Right? With our children, with our friends, we love to mess around and joke around and say, hey, give, me, give me that. Hey, what do you have in your hands? Give it to me. Right? Or you snatch it and run away with it. My dad does this to me every day. He comes to joke with me, looks at my cup of coffee, gives me, puts, puts a smile on his face and just grabs a cup and runs away. He knows, like, it's just a joke he does and it doesn't get old. Every single day he does this with me. So we love to <clears throat> do this. It is a grab something from somebody out of, as a joke. People of Jannah will do this. But when they're hosting around this grand party, messing around, saying, hey, what do you have in your hand? Oh, that drink of honey. And then somebody grabs and runs away. They're doing that with each other, bouncing around out of joy. 
but it doesn't end up in one. Somebody being upset with everyone. It's power. That's that's the level of detail in this. That's amazing. I'll tell you what's just like I spent time with this food. I'm like, this is amazing, right? It's not just saying you're going to be in fun. No, Allah is going to give us an example of it to put us into that state and and put our imagination. Inshallah, we'll wrap up. And then, I'll, and then they'll say something. Allah will get into their conversations. Here's what will they say. Allah will tell us what the people of Jannah, you and I, can be saying. What Again, what did we used to worry about? What did we worry about in this earth? The fate of our families and children. When we're in Jannah, Allah says, you're going to be saying to each other while you're playing around and messing around and horsing around and enjoying your food and drink. He says, and they'll start to come towards each other. <clears throat> the people of Jannah coming to converse and talk to each other, and here's what they'll say to each other. They'll say to each other this. They'll say to each other, hey, remember the days when we used to be worried about our families? And then Allah bestowed his good on us and protected us from the hellfire. Do you remember the days when we used to make dua to Allah? Mm, how generous is Allah. Like, Allah's going to tell us, he's telling us here. You and I, Allah puts us in Jannah. I mean, inshallah, we're going to talk to each other and say, remember the days when we used to be so worried about our families and our children? All gone. And here we are in Jannah. And indeed, we, we used to know Allah is good. But Allah's really good. You're going, to be, you're going to be so sure of what? The goodness of Allah and all the anxieties are gone. Remember, bliss of the mind. No afflictions for your mind. Nothing that will come into your mind to mess it up. And all your worries and concerns, especially about your families, are gone. They're there in front of you, fully healthy, fully happy. And they're there with you eternally. And you're going to be talking to each other saying, remember when we used to be worried. It means that we'll have some memory of this earth but not in a bad way. It's all going to be bliss, like, mm, all gone. And I remember when we used to be worried about it. Here we are, worried. Allah tells you, don't worry. There shall come a day when all these worries are gone, no matter how serious they are. And the ones that you're worried about, are they going to be, are going to be there with who? With you. Guaranteed by Allah. So let's talk about bliss and the redefinition of bliss. Now, before I conclude, can this be attained here? Impossible. That's why I said the description of Jannah, Surah Al-Tur, redefines the notion of what? Bliss, happiness, and joy. And for Allah to tell us these experiences cannot be had here. It's only a mini experience. The place where you'll have them fully is the next word. Then, inshallah, quickly, Allah now presents a series of questions to the people who deny this and say, Are you for real? If you do not. Learn about Jannah and the hellfire and the truth of Allah and the next world from Revelation. Where else are you going to get it? There's more. If you doubt this, you're done. So Allah says in the next set of verses, or are they saying that the one who delivered this revelation is a poet? Or are they just doubting? And then he says, or did their minds command them to say these things about Rasulullah? No, no, no. Because no rational mind can't argue with this. No rational mind can say that Rasulullah was a poet, was a sorcerer. It's impossible. He had the character. 
It was established. So your rational minds can never tell you this. No, no, no. You are rebellious people. You are rebellious people, argumentative people. And then he says, he poses this powerful question in verse 35. And I tell you, this verse is, is, is presents a very fundamental argument for everyone that denies the existence of Allah. So you know all these atheist arguments? All come back to one question that you and I need to learn how to present to others and debate with if we have to debate. And it's something we have to anchor in our children, which is verse 36. Um, um, 35 and 36. Two verses. Allah says in them, in them, all these denials, all these arguments against the existence of God. He says, were they created from nothing or are they the creators? Did they create the heavens or is it is it that they just are dying? But just, all of this is summed up in this one verse. When we debate or ask the questions about how did this existence come into being, right? Everything that starts had to have a beginning, right? Had to come from somewhere. So Allah is asking a very simple question that nobody can argue with. He says to them and to everybody that denies the existence of God, were you created from nothing or did you make yourselves? What are the possibilities? Either we came from nothing, is that logical? Absurd. Zero plus zero equals zero. It's impossible that we came out of nothing. Or did you make yourselves? You know what that's equivalent to say? A mother gave birth to herself. Is that logical? Illogical that you made yourself. So what's left? Someone made you that was created. Someone like you. So that means somebody else made them. Which means somebody else made the one who made the one who made them. Right? How far back do you go? It's impossible. So you have to have come with someone who made you who is uncreated. Please. Allah gives it in one verse. All these arguments philosophical arguments are shattered with one rhetorical question that Allah poses in this verse. So Allah poses these powerful questions to expose their fallacies and their ignorance, and he wraps up the surah with this. Telling the Prophet so they continue to argue and play and mess around and doubt and engage in sin and corruption. So leave them until they are jolted. Until they face the day when they're jolted by the thunderbolt of Allah Azza wa Jal, on the day when their schemes will not benefit them, and they shall find no aid. And it's not only that, they shall have another punishment of Allah, not only on this earth, but in the next world. And he wraps up the surah with two verses. Here's what he says to them. Look at the first instruction. This word. Be what? Patient. Where did we say patience in this world? Being spoken to or given or as a command to who? The people of the hellfire. But what did Allah say about patience for the people of the hellfire? No benefit. So here, here comes again at the end of the surah to tell Rasulullah be what? Patient, it will benefit you. Not all of us. Be patient. It will benefit you. You cannot make it without, without patience. Be patient for the command of Allah. It'll come. The fulfillment of the promise of Allah is coming. You are in our eyes. You're in the protection of Allah. 
constantly. But Allah Azzawajal will send you tests. But Allah assures the, the Prophet, inshallah all of us, you are in the eyes and the protection of Allah. When you rise up in the morning, what should you do? First thing, Tasbih and Hamd of Allah. Tasbih and Hamd of Allah. And at night, continue to glorify Allah with Tasbih. And when the stars repeat or recede, meaning the best hours now, right? When the stars have, have gone and when the dawn has come and the sun has to, you know, is rising, this is this is the time of Allah, especially dawn time. Now, guess what? The next surah will start with. So Allah says, and the receding of the stars, and the next surah says, and when the star is receding. And both by Allah Azza wa Jal. And this is really significant again, reminding us again of these glorious thoughts that we're in right now. When we come and study the word of Allah, glorify Him, praise Him, is what's going to give us what? The spiritual muscle, ammunition, guidance, and inshallah, the, the delivery of the promise of Allah to all of us. And this patience and the virtue that we carry, do not belittle them. They are big in the sight of Allah, but really, brothers and just picture yourself in that bliss of Allah and ask Allah for it. Ask Allah for it and ask Allah for Firdaus the highest garden in the gardens of Allah and Allah does not ever, ever turn down the prayers of the Lord. He said, wow, he doesn't hit. So if I'm reading this, that's in the presence of his Christian friend. And I see the mount, he says, wow, he God refers to Mount of Elias or Mount of Natural. How should I answer that? They'll say what? Mount, he may say Mount, mount of Elias. Mount of Elias? Yeah. Or how he may say Mount of Natural. You cannot argue with that. Meaning that there are things, first of all, there's no, I would say that generally if somebody has an interpretation as to what the mount is, I'd say it's a big deal. Like, you know what I mean? We have our understanding. These are not necessarily like, it's, it's not something you can. So if you say that this is what is meant is this mountain, we definitely share your understanding. Right. I understand here that our God, he addresses to our Prophet, peace be upon him. That's how I understand here. What is that? He addresses to our Prophet. Right. That's how I understand it. So you're saying because they they might be saying this yeah, to yeah. say that the yeah. other kind of... No, we recognize we recognize the revelation of Allah to all the Prophets. If anything, it speaks of the beauty of our faith. So how the answer? No, I would say... But, but you're saying that... So you're saying if they say that this is the Mount of Olives, so what... So let's say if it is... Even for us, it's okay. Yeah, it might be. So, but what, you're saying that they're trying to infer something or mean something by that? I don't know what. Uh, uh, our next uh, question would be our argument would be. No. argument would be, oh wow, it can be laughing to Jesus. It's just, okay, say if, if it does refer to that, that's also a welcome thing because we recognize all prophets of God. And that's why we say here, we're referring to, it could be a reference to Musa alayhi salam, right? In Tur, we're referring to Musa, which shows the breadth of this faith, that it's recognizing all the messengers of God from the 
dawn of creation from Adam This is a very significant message in the Quran. Allah talks about Jesus and his experience and his miracles. It's just as we'll speak of Musa, just as we'll speak of Noah. In many things, it actually speaks of the speaks of the veracity, the truth of our faith. The fact that it is recognizing all these messengers, and, but in nowhere does it say that they're divine. That's what I would say. In nowhere does it bring up the fact that Jesus is divine or that he's the son of God, just as it wasn't actually even in their own scriptures, right? It isn't. It doesn't say this. It's really, it's an inventive concept. It is, but you don't argue. Like, unless somebody is really debating with you, clearly we don't debate except with virtue. Right? If there is a need for it. But in the way of explaining to people, sure, we share the information. And by the way, we share it, we say that even some words like this, they can carry many meanings. It's not like definitive verses in the Quran that have one clear meaning. Things that Allah takes a note by, they could have a breadth of meanings, a range of meanings. So it's okay if somebody says it could mean this other thing. Alhamdulillah, that's a good thing. But in no way does that establish that Jesus is divine or anything like this? How? Unless somebody is really making an illogical conclusion. Does that make sense? So alhamdulillah, it's fine. Like, do it with an open chest and and, and, and comfort, inshallah. <laughs> So even there, there's a reference to the like Surah. All the oaths are referring to the different sacred spots in which these sacred messengers will not came down. Fatin was Zaytun, the olive trees in Palestine and the descent of Jesus, etc. All the prophets also, but also Puri Sinin, Puris Sinin here is Sina, right? In the desert of Sinai, where the Tur is. And this safe uh, land, which refers to Mecca. Mecca. So all the sacred spots in which Allah delivered revelations and sent the prophets. So he's swearing by all of them. Again, that's, that shows what our faith is about. Go ahead, Rafi. Two things. Uh, I know we when it's, uh, our ultimate is watching Allah and we're going to die and we look forward to uh, being done. But for my part of it, you know, when worry about the kids, that is, um, we, we do that as parents, you know, um, just like the, the, the funeral you went to, like I lost the kids. Uh, you know. So part of me, I worry about them when they go out, everything has happened, I mean, the joints and everything. So I worry about that part, I don't know how I can uh, divorce that part of it. I don't know, I'm not working it. And my second question to you is, we talk about patience. You deliver, you pray five times, you believe in Allah and everything. But, but you know, things happen. If I'm worried about it, I'm trying to solve it, you know, working on it. I know I try, let, let it work, but leave everything to Allah. You know, it's up to him to make it perfect. So patience is, what, you not worrying about things, you just, okay, it's up to Allah. I try, it doesn't work. So, yeah. how do we? Uh, we're packed a lot into your question, brother. So, first of all, the worry. There are different levels of worry and concern. There are concerns and worries that are unfounded. 
It's just because our minds are never ever thinking about Allah. So there's a lot of words that Allah addresses, right? And the more that we're connected to the word of Allah and reflect on it, and the more that we glorify Allah, the more that He shatters a lot of words away. By the way, anxiety is a natural part of our existence. So let me actually say something preceding the, that notion of how Allah uh, deals or addresses worry. We'll always have worries in life. It is impossible to live life without worry and concern. And worry is always about things that will happen in the future, just in fear. Just as sadness is over things that have happened in the past. How can you eliminate sadness? You can't. Can you eliminate entirely the fear of the future? It's, it's impossible. We'll always, by being human beings, we'll have experiences of worry and concern and fear. Until the last breath. The question is how much of it and about what, right? And by the way, just to let you know, Francis, people have different genetic propensities towards worry. You know this. There are some people who are genetically disposed to being more worried. So that's why you have to be chill with people who are worried all the time, right? You just don't know their state inside, even physically. Some people are wired that way. Some people are not wired to worry as much. However, people who are divorced of that reality of Allah, completely this revelation, their worries are different. And, and there's nothing that will wash away those worries in life, even momentarily, right? Or they might be in such state of play that they, they don't worry because they're not thinking of future. But nonetheless, worries will come to them. One that I'm trying to make here is that the more that we reflect on Allah and the more that we glorify Allah, that's why he said to Rasulullah make the speech of Allah. When you pray mindfully and when you do the speech and the Allah, Allah guaranteed, and when you make istighfar, by the way, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, and salah on the Prophet it does wash the worries away. Don't we notice that we might be so worried and anxious, then we open this, the book of Allah, reflect on it, study a little bit, or sit in a halaqah, I'm not worried about that anymore. Why is that? Because of the reminders, but all because of the barakah of Allah. Allah is working the heart. So when we forget, we can't come back to that. As, as far as patience, Allah says have beautiful, intensive patience. It doesn't mean no struggle. It doesn't mean no worry. It means that I surrender the outcomes to Allah. And I'm going to be, I'm assured that Allah will provide you with a, with a good outcome for, inshallah, your patience. That, that faith, and also it depends on the situation. That's why, like, it's a very, it's an all-encompassing concept. Like, patience with what? Is it where my child being sick? Is it where not having a job? Is it where... Uh, an illness person, it, does, it depends on what it is that we're dealing with. Is it with somebody harming me? Like, does that make sense? All these say that I'm, you know, patience here means having faith in Allah Azza wa Jal, trust in Allah Azza wa Jal, that my, by me hanging in there, bearing through that difficulty with expectation of good things at the end, and I'm doing it for the sake of Allah, that's patience. But it doesn't mean, by the way, again, that somebody's not feeling concerns or harm or pain. It doesn't mean this. Because some people assume that patience means no pain. No, 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 it doesn't mean that. Or no worry whatsoever. That, that's, that's impossible for this earth almost. But it, it's loveless. So it's like a look at God. Worry makes you conscious. That's what I'm saying. So my point is that when Allah is taking oaths, there are five oaths in that you said in this If you go into deep into each oath Allah is taking, you will not have any doubt left 
about the, the day of judgment. I'll give you one example, or two. The, if you think about that, it's just a Mount Sinai. It's not a Mount Sinai, it's a second place where the most important decision was made. Allah instructed Prophet Musa Islam at that time to uplift the oppressed nation of Bani Israel and destroy the worst of the oppressor of the world. That you have to look at the sacred, that was the decision was made at that point when Allah instructed Prophet Musa at that time. So each oath, if you go into the deep and understanding the why Allah is taking an oath, there are there are reasons, there are importance, and there are values in that, you will not have any doubt left about the day they have the judgment. I think that's what's the reason why oaths are so Allah is taking so strong oaths in that. Now this, that's amazing. Like you see one word, right. and Allah moved on. And he spoke of the revelation, he took an oath. See, if you delve deep into that. You're going to be able to extract all of these meanings, right? What happened on the altar is significant. That's why Allah's taking the oath. Like I said, oh, it's a place where the revelation was delivered to Musa. So the Prophet Muhammad says, well, history happened there. Our whole history changed decisively. And a punishment unleashed the Quran, and a new nation emerged and was protected and saved. All for So it is speaking, as you said, of the sureness of the promise of Allah. And imagine if Allah is delivered, and we saw that, right? How would he not bring about a day of judgment? Clearly, there has to be a system of justice. I mean, that right? was a And that's all represents right. as a past If you look at the ocean, Allah is talking about ocean, how I control the ocean, right? You can feel it right now. Right. The ocean is controlled, and ocean is given the resources for the human being. Where they come from? Absolutely. How that was originated? Ocean is not taking over the, the land. I mean, control, sweet water, salt water, you can name it. That seems the name. perfection of it is astounding. Absolutely. And one more thing, by the way, just to, I have to share this process, it's really interesting. Even on a scientific uh, kind of basis, water is made of hydrogen and oxygen, two atoms of hydrogen, one atom of oxygen, right? Anybody who studied chemistry, H2O. Now, this is, can only come from Allah. Look at the delicate, intricate design of Allah. When they're fused together, you have the substance of life. But what happens when you break hydrogen and oxygen and you treat them separately? What do we know about hydrogen? Explosive. What about oxygen? If you have fire, cut off what from it? Oxygen. Because oxygen feeds the fire. So separately, they're flammable things, right? They're explosive things. When Allah uses them, you have what? The substance of life. So Allah speaks of the ocean swelling over on the day of judgment. All he has to do is what? In the ocean. And they turn into hell. What? Break the oxygen from the hydrogen. That ocean turns into what? Hellfire, right? On earth. That's amazing description, by the way. Because Allah refers to this multiple times in the Quran when Bahrain Masjur, like this ocean you're looking at will become fire. And subhanAllah, until we had chemistry, probably everybody's like, how is that going to become fire? How can you fire into water? And because the water puts out the fire. Oh, what kind of nonsense? Well, it's H2O. All you have to do is break it. And this is just a glimpse, right? Allah knows the processes. 
But if you just break the hydrogen from the oxygen, you have fire in that ocean. Not a lot. So go ahead. Uh, just a uh, quick clarification, maybe Arabic translation. So this whole idea of uh, reunion um, to the highest level, is it specifically family or does that include all loved ones? I, I mean, I'm asking on behalf of my kids. Who very, very good question. Very good question. Very good question. So Allah says here, as far as this verse is concerned, He says, وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا so as for those who believe, he says, and their progeny or their offspring, and offspring can contain generations, not just direct children, all the progeny. He specifically talks about those. Then he puts a condition. They had faith. He didn't say, and he didn't say al-iman. Their progeny followed them with faith. That's some faith, right? Right? So he didn't talk about others. However, there are other traditions that speak of other place in the Quran where Allah speaks of clearly the believers being their wishes are fulfilled, their desires are fulfilled completely. So evidently anybody with faith, right? Allah, if they're distant or close, are contained, they'll be brought together somehow by the virtue, by the mercy of Allah. Right? So here clearly the reference is to the family, is to the children, is to the parents, is to the grandchildren. But Allah is, in other places, if you look at them in the Qur'an and the hadith, you can see the expansiveness of it. And it's about the intimate friends, etc. Et and by the way, that's why also you see the hadith on the shaheed, for example. The shaheed can intercede on behalf of 70 of his anybody, like that he wants to intercede on behalf of. So the righteous can intercede, right, on behalf of so many. So the goodness of people affect many others. The families, that's why I say actually one of the action items of these verses is to say if we're struck, it, whether we're struggling with our children or not, just be good. And our goodness will touch them. So, but so does that make sense? So it's not in this verse, but it's implied in other verses and traditions. The reason I asked is because it's actually very important to kind of broaden this or provide the explanation which you just provided. I have this, uh, argument with somebody about adoption. They, believe it or not, this wasn't one of the reasons they offered for why you should not adopt kids. Uh, because they say they're not your blood relations, therefore they're not in your lineage. And I said, you know, the God I believe in will have mercy. And, you know, if, if my mother wanted to bring me up, if I was adopted, I can't imagine the God that I know would say no to her because I was adopted. And there, there are people who actually argue these, you know, they get stuck on specific translations. And just, you know, and again, kind of, and it's grounded and, and rooted in not understanding Allah, right? Not being aware of his attributes of his name. So his verse, and being biased and being stuck on our uh, antiquated beliefs, the days of ignorance, as Allah says, jahiliyyah. This is Jahiliyyah. Because and it can be addressed in many ways. Well, first of all, what did Allah tell Nuh? You know what he said about his own son is not your son. Well, wait a minute, I thought he's my son. Just because of faith. Meaning that it's it's not the definition of son or not son is not, not just lineage. No, 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 it's much more than that. Rasulullah was 18. Then why would Allah make orphans? So what what did they get? 
why would Rasulullah adopt Zayd? Now, what Allah just changed is just him adopting Rasulullah's name. That's it. But you can take care of him as your son, but just don't give him the name. Does that make sense? So just so that lineages don't get mixed up. The evidence is ample in the story of creation. And also, so those who deny and argue with this, they're on something, right? But they're definitely not on the Quran, not vibing with the Quran. And the message of Rasulullah, the way he lived and how he took care of the orphans and 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 the whole idea of encouraging and taking care of the orphan. And how does that? Is it just for money? No, take care of them, father them, mother them, right? For sure. And those are the greatest of people who take care of someone and adopt them in that regard. And it's the hardest thing to do. Right? So by all means, and there will be, and in fact, in Islamically, the one who mother took care of a child has more of a right on him than his direct mother wasn't there. Can you believe this? Or father. So if somebody took care of someone, they are their fathers and their mothers, but they just don't carry their name. That's it. But they have more of a right on them than even the direct father or mother who isn't there. For whatever the, the reason is. That's incredible. So, I just want to relate this and references that speak of the expanses of Allah's Rahmah and, the, and having those intimate the intimate company you have and people you love, Allah assured us that the ones you love you'll be with. This is assured of us. But clearly, unless they're violated, unjust, corrupt, whatever the conditions that Allah will not kind of uh, accept, right? Those are the ones that set a human being in trouble with Allah. So in distant distance them from the realm of the mercy of Allah as it is in the next world. So I'm going to the last comment, inshallah. I think that you know, what, my, what my brother just said, said a whole thing, that a human cannot really fathom. This surah comes in especially tells us that whoever you love or your progeny will be with you. It's quite clear that some of those people will be also in hell. Not everybody is going to be in Jannah because you wanted them to be in so this this thing goes in conflict of our understanding of jannah and uh, and hell, and and then suddenly we bring some of the people who may be in hell, not all of our jannah, we're going to be in jannah, bring them back. So excellent. Okay, let me take your because I'm going to wrap up with this issue. Go ahead. Well, go. This is about your father, which that's good practice. So this is very, very important question. Allah Azawajal, first of all, only Allah knows what happened in the next world. But Allah gave us an indication of it in the Quran. 
So he says, those who just believe in Allah, rebelliously, arrogantly, unjust, the corrupt are all in the hellfire. There's no question about it. Allah is just, right? Allah is merciful, but Allah is absolutely just. And only Allah knows how to render his own judgment and own justice. Because we cannot, we have no capacity to do this. Allah here, all we can do is read what Allah says. He said, the ones who believe and do righteous deeds are in Jannah. Where they are is up to Allah according to his mercy and according to what these people have done. In this verse specifically, he says, those who follow them in faith. It means they had faith. He didn't say they were kuffar. He didn't say they were unjust. He didn't say they were killers, corrupt, who insisted on it. He didn't. In fact, he told Noah, that's not your son. And his son deliberately, not because he was ignorant, not because he had some challenges that prevented him from believing in Allah, like the father of Prophet Muhammad didn't believe in Allah. But all the scholars, you know, have, have uh, <clears throat> kind of uh, uh, came up with the opinion that, inshallah, he's in Jannah, because he didn't know any better. But in the case of Noah, he deliberately, his son deliberately, uh, rebelled, just as the wife of Luth and just as the wife of Noah. And they're in the hellfire, even though it's his family. So that's the answer of Allah Azza wa And it's mentioned in the Quran. Allah knows who deserves to even be in Jannah to begin with, but what he's assured us with is that they will be elevated to the rank of the highest. Because Allah's mercy. So once they made it into Jannah by Allah's mercy, and they deserve to be there by Allah's rahmah, right? And because Allah determined it to be the case, uh, then they will be elevated to the highest in the family who's done the best, which is an invitation again to all of us to do our utmost. It'll affect our entire families, but Allah knows who else in our company. It'll affect. So here we go. People in the Alfar, there will be people in the Alfar that nobody can do anything about, right? But the ones in Jannah, if they had any faith, they'll be there, inshallah. And Rasulullah said this in a hadith. He said, By Allah, whoever believes in says La ilaha illallah with sincerity in his heart shall enter Jannah. And the Sahaba were like, just that? He says, like, in fact, he told it to someone, and this someone went and spread it. And Rasulullah was happy that people understood it, but he didn't talk much about it so that they don't become lazy. That's it. But Allah assured us that people of La ilaha illallah sincerely will enter Jannah. That's the message of Allah. Makes sense? to join us with our families and friends and, and companions on this earth. Ask Allah to guide us to the straight path and to join us with Rasulullah Muhammad to remove our anxieties and worries and concerns and fears and to comfort us with his love and affection and guidance and enlightenment. Ask Allah to grant us the highest of the abodes of Jannah, Jannah the those in the companionship of the righteous and the prophets and Rasulullah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah and Ameen. Allah and Ameen. Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah and Ameen.